Research into genes related to aging is just beginning. You're listening to ReachMD.com on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Today we have a special segment on the future of medicine. Welcome, I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today as our guest is Dr. Nir Barzilai. Dr. Barzilai is the director of the Institute for Aging Research at Albert Einstein College of Medicine and is also professor of medicine and professor of genetics at the same institution. Thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure to be with you. With 55,000 centenarians existing now, and some people say that by the year 2050, there'll be 800,000 centenarians in the United States. In other words, this is the most rapidly growing cohort that we have. Is it time that we begin to include them in our medical research? Absolutely time, because we have learned a lot from centenarians. Basically, we have learned what's their phenotype and what's part of their genotype that allowed them to get to this age with few age-related diseases. Well, what is the lipoprotein phenotype that you found in this particular segment of our population? The families of centenarians have an increased levels of HDL cholesterol and very large lipoprotein particle size that is the size of the HDL and LDL molecules. If your HDL is high and you have a father who's centenarian, this would be a good prediction for long life, according to our study. Well, who did you use in your study and why did you select them? Because we are focused on genetic discoveries, it's always important to study a population that is relatively homogeneous from a genetic point of view, the Amish in Pennsylvania, the Icelandic, and the Ashkenazi Jews are very good examples of people that came from relatively few founders, and there are many of them now, so that you can really make a genetic correlation to some of the diseases that they have. Well, who are your controls then? Because people who were born together with centenarians have died 40 or 50 years ago, we obviously have a problem to put the correct control. And what we've been doing, we've been recruiting the offspring of centenarians that we think have inherited their longevity genes, or half of them have inherited the longevity genes. And we match them with a age match and gender control that is their age, which is approximately 70 years old. And so the genetic studies are between those unrelated people, the age match control and the centenarians, but our validation are actually in the offspring of centenarians that have a much larger percentage of genotype for longevity. Well, were your controls also Ashkenazic Jews, even though they were not related to the probane? Yes, the whole population is Ashkenazi Jews. Well, did they have the lipoprotein phenotype that you saw in the offspring? No, they had a much worse phenotype. They had the normal expected HDL levels, which are 45 for men and 55 for women. And they didn't have, as a population, the large lipoprotein particle size. Was there an associated genotype to go along with this? Yes, there were several genotypes and for lipoprotein. In fact, there were three that were validated. And the interesting thing with all those genotypes is that 
their homozygosity percentage at 60 years old was about 8 to 10 percent, but it was overrepresented in centenarians, so it was between 24 and 32 percent. So they really accounted for a major increase in our centenarians, and since each one of them had a functional role, we think that it really was very much associated with their longevity and was associated with prevention of not one, but several age-related diseases. Is there a name for their genotype? One of the genes, the first one that we've published, is called CTP or cholesterol ester transfer protein gene, and that's a pathway that is involved in both increasing HDL cholesterol and lipoprotein particle size and also in the transfer of cholesterol from, let's say, our coronaries to the liver and out of the body. Is there a possibility that someday there may be medications that would affect the gene? Actually, there is, in particularly to this genotype. Our other genotypes haven't been really probed yet by the pharmaceutical, but for reasons that are not related to longevity, because of their effect of lipoprotein, there are several drug companies that are doing inhibition to CTP, which is what the genotype is doing, in order to treat hyperlipidemia. And if we predict correctly, it will be used not only for prevention of hyperlipidemia, but to prevent several age-related diseases, and that's very exciting. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD.com on XM160, the channel for medical professionals, and today we have a special segment on the future of medicine. And we are discussing the interesting results of new genes that are found in the elderly part of our population that may have significance to all of us. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me is Dr. Nir Barzilai, who is the director of the Institute for Aging Research at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. You began to tell me that there is the hope that there will be drugs that will affect these genes and that it may not only affect the cholesterol or lipoprotein, but is it possible that it would affect, say, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, or the most obvious thing would be, say, the metabolic syndrome that we all talk about? There is a certain association between prevention of all those diseases in people who have this genotype and the low level of CTP and also the good lipoprotein profile. I think the most exciting example is the fact that when we looked at the cognitive function of our centenarians and we did a mini mental state exam that there's 30 questions and we decided that if you pass 25, you did very well, we tried to identify how come some 100 years old get with their brain and not only with their body to age 100, and we found that those people were the ones who had three times more of the CTP good genotype than the ones who didn't do well in the state exam. And we repeated the same study in the Ashkenazi Jews at the Einstein Aging Study, and we showed that people who had dementia, their CTP genotype was five times less prevalent than people who didn't become demented. In other words, there's a direct association between the CTP genotype and cognitive function. And I think that this is very promising for not only the diseases that you said, but also for prevention of Alzheimer and cognitive decline with aging. Is CEPT found actually in the brain? 
as APOE, which is the one that we associate with Alzheimer's, found in the brain? Yes, it is expressing the blood-brain barrier of humans, and our data indicate that it's even more expressed, which is bad, in Alzheimer patients. So the idea that there is something directly in the brain is something that we are actually looking at. I certainly grew up with George Burns as an idol and Strom Thurmond, and recently Anne Nixon Cooper, the 106-year-old woman who President-elect Obama mentioned in his speech on election night, has been on the air. We have a lot of people to look at, and I wonder, although you've used this particular group, are there going to be other opportunities to study other centenarians? The first point I want to make is that for me, it was just interesting that President Obama didn't talk about a diabetic patient or cancer patient. He chose of everything to talk about a 106-year-old woman, and I hope that's predictive for the funding that we'll get into this research. The other point I want to make is that it's important to study the centenarians now because what you said is the growth of centenarians from 55,000 to maybe million. In fact, there are some people who are saying that every child that will be born now would live to age 100, but this will be true mainly by technology. There are not going to be the pure people who get there. There are going to be the bionic people who get there with bypasses, with pacemakers, with artificial limbs or after operation. And I think it's important to take the people who are naturally going there and studying them because otherwise this will be a missed opportunity. The other thing that you have written about, and I'd like to just touch on it, is the functional significance of insulin growth factor in the elderly. And I wonder if you could take us into that, and especially the receptor sites. Yes, you know, it's really very interesting in nature. You know, the pony lives longer than the horse, and the small dogs live longer than the large dogs. And if you take mice and either mutate their growth pathway or if they happen to be born with a form of dwarfism, they all live longer. They all live longer. And so the idea that this growth is involved in aging is something that many investigators are looking at. And because of that, we actually were sequencing the IGF receptor, which is where most of growth hormone action is going to occur. A growth hormone will increase IGF, and IGF will bind to its receptor and will start doing all that it has to do to promote growth and well-being of cells. Well, we sequenced those IGF receptors, and we found seven women centenarians whose IGF receptor had a mutation that led to inactivity, which we looked at also. It's not that the majority of our centenarians are kind of dwarfs or have impaired growth, but it is probably one pathway that allows centenarians to reach this age. You know, as a sports fan, to hit home runs, you've got to take growth factor. There seems to be a conflict, or is there a short-term effect to this and a long-term effect? Well, that's, I think, exactly the point growth factors and estrogen, for example, sex hormones, are definitely useful hormones. And they work great on bodies of young people. The question is what happens when you do a very unidimensional study and you give either estrogen or growth hormone 
in isolation to somebody who's 60 or 70 years old and has an old body. Can the old body, with its environment of aging, with more senescent cells and other uh, things that that happening in the body, can those old body tolerate well those youthful hormones? Now, from the estrogen study on the Women Health Initiative, we know that when you give it to 60 years old, they develop cognitive dysfunction, heart disease, and breast cancer. So obviously, it's not so good for prevention of age-related diseases. I think that our study on the IGF receptor suggests that actually the people that live longer are those that have low growth hormone levels or action and not the others. So I think, yes, exactly your point is right. You should be cautious when you give to elderly person growth hormone because I would predict it will do the opposite and will not be safe. That's interesting. You say that reduced growth factor or growth hormone factor one leads to a longer life. Well, doesn't calorie restrictions do the same thing, reduce growth factor one? And does that also lead to increased age? In other words, is this a plug that we better watch our calories and this is in some way related to this pathway that you're working with? Yes, you're absolutely right. Look, caloric restriction is really the best known model to increase lifespan in variety of animals. I just have to tell you with caution that it hasn't been shown to be as effective in primates and it certainly hasn't been effective in humans, although one thing we know is that obese people live shorter lives than, than lean people. It might be a relevant paradigm or not. But caloric restriction is a way to retard age in animal models. And one of the things that happen in caloric restriction is that there's less IGF levels. Is this the reason for the longevity? I'm not sure. I should also say that in caloric restricted studies in humans, IGF does not decrease, but many of the other features of caloric restriction are established. So we don't know the answer, but certainly the growth hormone factors and certainly the caloric restriction are part of the most exciting paradigm in aging that we're trying to translate into human research and understanding health span. Well, this talk has certainly been an exciting one. Certainly the future of gene research is there for all of us and hopefully we will all benefit from it. I think we have to remember that we have to also do something as simple as watching our calories. And I want to thank Dr. Nir Barzilai for being with us. He's the director of the Institute for Aging at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. And I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. And you've been listening to a special segment on the future of medicine from ReachMD.com on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website, at ReachMD.com, which features an entire library through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-639-6157. That's 888-639-6157. Thank you for listening.